tonight, uh, Jadita Wangi is going to come give her testimony. So, Hi, everyone. I just realized when worship ended that it's so much easier for me to sing than to talk. So if you don't mind, I'll sing my testimony. Ah, just kidding. Um, <laughs> so, um, wow, my testimony. Um, I am number three in family with four kids, right? So that means I'm in the middle, I'm not in the middle. I was born in Nairobi, Kenya, for those who don't know where that is, that's like over there. No, just kidding. It's East Africa. <laughs> Beautiful place. You really should go there if you get the chance. Wonderful weather. Um, so I was raised there for 24 years. I've only been in the States four years. Um, and my parents have been married all my life. They still are to some extent. Um, they're married. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but I grew up in a home that wasn't necessarily safe. Like, my dad was alcoholic and violent and abusive, and my mother was semi-alcoholic and just taking it all in and just venting it out on us kids. So it was kind of, a, it's something that I know is familiar to a lot of people. Um, I said this once at a group that the same things that, like, there's no different strategy that the enemy uses. He uses, like, the exact same strategy on all of us. So I'm way on another continent with other, you know, other people, different culture, same crap. You know, you're here, <laughs> you're growing up in a totally different culture, same crap, right? Um, so <laughs> uh, my introduction to the harsh realities of life came early. Um, my introduction to sex was being molested by one of my nannies. And so that started me on a route of, well, this, you know, this is what people, this is what adult figures do to kids. If they're not drinking and beating, you know, beating each other up or beating them up or calling them names, then they're molesting them. So do I trust authority? Yes, no, no. No, I don't. <laughs> so... Uh, right now I do, I do, by the way, for those wondering. Um, and, uh, but at that time, that's what I learned um, as a child, that I couldn't trust those above me. I couldn't trust my father. I couldn't trust my mom, because she just took it, and I was like, okay. I couldn't trust um, my nannies. I couldn't trust my uncles, my aunts. Um, so basically in my culture, they promoted dominance of men, like the guys, the man of the house is always right, doesn't matter what. And the subservience of women, meaning when you're under, um, when you're serving the man, when you're obeying his every command, when you're doing what you're told, that's a good quality. I have none of those. Um, <laughs> so I didn't exactly fit in. Um, so, <laughs> right, so I came to America. <laughs> where people like me live. Um, <laughs> I learned how to manipulate at a very young age. Um, I learned that if I could, you know, foresee my dad's needs that he would never be mad, never happened, but I told myself that would happen in my head. 
Um, I told them I learned how to navigate my culture, know when to say the right thing. So I became very adaptable, and that followed me into when I finally started going to church. Um, this happened at the age of eight, seven or eight, um, because my dad lost his job and he thought we all needed Jesus. So we all started going to church, and um, I was told I'd go to hell when I was about 12, 13. I was told I'd go to hell, so I was like, no, I don't want to go to hell, so I'll get saved, right? Great, great introduction to God and all that. Um, <laughs> And I, you guys look so serious. It's not a sad story. I'm trying to make y'all laugh. <laughs> okay. It's like everyone's like so intense, like, oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So from the age of like six going up, um, I really did live a double life. Um, from Monday through Saturday, I hated everything to do with God. I hated you know, all that stuff with church, they told us. Uh, on Sunday, I had to love him because I had to go to church. Um, then days later, I, you know, as the years went by, I found out, well, I can escape my house by going to church. So I had to love God on these other days when I didn't want to be at home with everyone else. Um, I knew I could hear the voice of God from a young age. Um, which kind of sucked because I had all these other things that were just piled up on top of me now. I mean, I was at the age of like maybe nine, ten. I was already like I was into I was masturbating at that age. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was doing it anyway. And I was like, this feels good. Makes me forget what's going on around me. Can't hear everybody arguing and shouting and beating each other up outside the door. Um, I was I had a lot of I had a great imagination. I still do. Um, unfortunately, that was used against me, and so I would create these little worlds where things that were not supposed to be happening to a little child would happen to a little child. Um, Starting my own little, uh, what do you call it, um, porn syndicate in my head. Um, <laughs> no, no, you almost, no, you weren't. <laughs> and that was from a very young age. Uh, with all these things, and then I'm still trying to find this escape by going to church, and no one's really helping me. The culture doesn't know how to address it. We don't talk about sex. Sex is for grown-ups so that they can make children. That's it, you know? And for perverted people who want to talk about it. That, that was it. Um, I uh, really didn't value myself at all. I was very guilty, very ashamed, very insecure. Uh, and I continued in that growing up into a teenager. I was never interested in guys for a long time. Like when most people here start dating, what, 14, 15 maybe? I didn't, I was like, nah, I just have no interest whatsoever. Dating came to me later when I was like 19. It's like, oh, I can actually do this. There's guys out there. There's people who are interested in me. Uh, I continued basically in this trend and for a lot of people they can identify you know you go out there's always alcohol involved there's partying there's numbing out um there's you know all there's promiscuity there's a lot of failed relationships i mean i could go into one two three four whatever you know it's it's really all in the past but it has all led up to this one, what I would call a 
quite a milestone in my life in one of my in one of the relationships that I'd had with someone I thought would you know it would be forever right because I had played all my cards right I knew everything that you know needed to be done for this relationship to work because you know that's just just how I was control freak extraordinaire um, I knew how to get everything I wanted um, I got pregnant in this relationship. And I was like, great, this is gonna snag him for sure. No, it didn't. I was dragged to an abortion clinic. FYI, in Kenya, it's illegal to have an abortion. So I could have easily gone to jail. And by the way, it is not a blessing that it is legal to have abortions here. I honestly believe that. It is absolutely not a blessing in any way. Um, life was lost that, that day when I went in there. As coerced as I was, I still had a part to play in that. And that was something that would carry on into the continuing of this downward spiral. Um, I, had, I was in college at the time, so went through my four years, did, you know, did college because I was supposed to, took care of my family uh, when my mother, my mother left us um, just right, when I, I think when I was coming out of high school, yeah to come to the States, and that's how I ended up here, by the way. Um, when she came here um, to look for work and stuff. So I took care of the family when she left, because I was supposed to, doing a lot of things, because I was supposed to, because I was expected to. And then when I wasn't expected to do these things, when I had my break, that's when I would go into, back into alcohol, back into promiscuity, back into these relationships. And um, further, and further away I thought from God. Thing is, I could still hear his voice and I was like, please, can you shut up and just leave me alone? <laughs> I don't wanna hear what you have to say. I don't wanna hear that you have a plan for me. I don't hear, wanna hear how much you loved me. Um, and, but he just kept on saying that. Um, in 2008, um, I came to, I, that's when I like, officially moved to the States. I was like, okay, Life's done. I've, you know, exhausted that my four-year relationship ended. I was like, I guess there's nothing left for me here. You know, I can't, I don't want to stay in Kenya. I don't want to be around those people. I hate them. Uh, let's go try Americans. You know? And so I leave there with this horrible attitude. And I come over here and I fit right in. Um, <laughs> and that's funny. Come on. <laughs> So I, I leave there uh, with this terrible attitude, this chip on my shoulder, and I come over here, and I've, like, I've always had um, what I would think is a gift in worship. I've always had that on me, and I've had people in ministry recognize that and use it, uh, but me as an individual was never taken care of. So same thing happened when I got here. I'm still living my double life. I'm leading people to the Lord. I'm leading worship. I'm, you know, I'm all up in everyone's business, leading small groups and stuff like that. But I'm this really messed up person. I pursued a master's degree, which by the way, I'm still going to finish. <laughs> Four years down the line, I'm still going to finish it. <laughs> um, and so now uh, being here in the States, my double life after what? In 2000, and did I meet you in 2009? Yeah. Yeah, I met Waterbury in 2009. <laughs> 
And that's kind of when my life started to change. Um, my double life became more and more difficult to live. Um, the call that God had on my life became more and more difficult to ignore. Um, I couldn't just do that life anymore. I couldn't be one person here and another person right here. Um, they collided um, eventually, and all this shame and guilt just heaped on me all over again. Like, not all over again, but just in a really intense way. And it was a choice I had. I had the choice to, like, to really pursue God now or just go like, okay, screw it, this sucks, I'm just going to die, um, which I had tried, but it didn't work. Um, I, <laughs> I remember that day, I was upset at my dad for something, and I just grabbed some, I just grabbed a whole handful of uh, sleeping pills, some really potent stuff. It made in India, by the way. If you ever take Indian medication, it's really, <laughs> really potent. So anyway, uh, be careful. Ask your doctor. <laughs> so, I took this stuff and I was like, it's over. We're done. I'm going to hell or heaven. Doesn't matter. God, you know wherever I'm going. You know, just see you on the other side. And it was the worst night of my life. I have never had such a bad night trying to just disappear. And I woke up that, the next morning, obviously, I didn't die. Um, I woke up, <laughs> I woke up the, in the morning and I was like, sheesh, what happened? And God's like, you're not going to die. You're just not. You can try, but you're not going to die. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that sucks. Not even if I, no, not even if I, no, you're not going to die. It was an interesting conversation and decided I wouldn't, didn't want to pursue that because I don't like pain. Um, <laughs> but I digress. Um, so in 2009, my life starts to change. Um, I, that's around the time I also met, um, started like learning what community was and learning what spiritual family was and actually embracing that. Um, the first people to actually teach me that were Kenyans. Um, Pat, he's a reverend now, I suppose. Uh, reverend Ken and Jerry Thubay, they were instrumental in like teaching me that, showing me that the, the people who raised you did a bad job, but it doesn't mean that your culture sucks. You know, it doesn't mean that you're, there's another culture out there that's better, that you can go find it. It's just those people that made a mistake and you need to forgive them, let that go and embrace who you are and where you came from. Um, very hard to swallow that pill, but they showed me that in the way that, only the way they could. And that was an start, the beginning of an amazing journey for me. Um, that was topped by the fact that I went ahead and was like, okay, you know, I, I need to change, right? So I joined Christ Life. And for those who have been through or know about Christ Life in any way, it's a monumental instrument of change. Um, and it has done so in my life. It gave me tools that are... Like, you know, you'd think some things are tailored specifically for a particular culture. It's like, no, no, these, this was stuff I was able to take and use in my own, 
in my own culture, like with my own folks, like things that would relate to, you know, who, where I came from and all that. Um, and it's just really walking in truth, walking in the truth and not letting your, uh, you know, BS radar get foggy. Um, and so <laughs> um, I took all three phases of Christ's life in 2010 and through 2011. Um, and then I came from this bitter, angry person. At first, it was other people who started seeing the change in me. I didn't see anything. I was like, what? okay, thanks. It's like, oh, you look like you've, you've changed so much. I can see just the light in you is so bright. I'm like, uh-huh, thanks. I'm like, I don't feel any different. I just feel like all my junk from in here went to out here. <laughs> I was like, everybody can see it now. Thanks a lot. Um, I went from that, all that bitterness, all that anger, all that unforgiveness, and my life just became restructured. And I had went through several times where I'd been like, okay, God, I rededicate my life. I'm going to try and be good now. It changed from I'm going to try and be good to just live in me. You know, just live in me. I'm, I'm done living. Christ just live in me. And that's the walk I've been on for the past two years, three years. That's the walk I've been on the past, for the past three years. And um, I just have a huge family now, hugest family. I never thought I'd have a family this huge. Um, spiritual brothers, sisters, a dad who's, do you say dotting or doting? How do you guys say that over here? Yeah, we say dotting. Isn't that funny? <laughs> dotting. I have a dotting father. <laughs> um, and my relationship with my family is something totally different now. Um, I'm starting to see changes in them that would have never been realized with my own, my own personal will and strength and all that. It's only Christ that did all those things in them. And it's just him doing it by me just being present. And um, I'm just grateful for the freedom that I have received, um, the growth that I have seen even in myself and that God gives me the pleasure of seeing growth in others too, because I've become so passionate about it. I'm like, I was like, I, I, I seek out, like, I'm a miss, I'm a, what do you call those things, those missiles? A scud missile? Yeah, I'm a, like a scud missile for BS. I'm like, you know, <laughs> I do not, <laughs> you know, we cannot let this rule and reign right here. This is, mm -mm, this needs to die right now. <laughs> <laughs> I get that from my daddy. Um, <laughs> and, and I've become so passionate about that. And I'm excited all the more because my testimony is growing because of, this, because of, the, many, because of the many more, um, or should I say the greater journey ahead of me that God has me on. And um, I just pray that for, you know, for those who feel that they're, struggling with their lives, if it's, it looks like a double life, you're really the only one who can decide to change that. You're really the only one who can say, okay, I'm done with this. I need this to be different. I need this to change. So what's gonna happen? Am I gonna move in it or am I gonna just, yeah. So that's me.
So whatever your need is tonight, wherever you're at on your journey with God, he has answers for you. Whatever your culture is, um, God has answers for you. So Eric, come up. Let's pray. God, we just thank you for wholeness. Lord, I thank you for this man and his wife, for the way that they teach us who you are, for the way that they speak truth and light in the darkness. And we just look forward to what you have for us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Awesome. I love you guys so much. This place is no other place like this place. Um, we're going to be uh, opening some scripture here in a moment. If you have a Bible, we're going to just take a peek at Ephesians 1. And um, let me just pray one more time. God, I just thank you for just the, the groundwork that you are laying here. And right now, Lord, as we open up your word and we look towards wholeness, Lord, we just pray that every single word that would proceed from my mouth, Lord, would just be from your heart. Lord, we don't want to hear from any wisdom of man, Jesus. We want to hear the life transformational truths from your, your kingdom, from your power, Lord, for us to, to be different. Lord, help us to walk in such a way, Lord, that it matches how you see us. All God's people said amen. amen. Awesome. So uh, if you guys were here last week, my awesome wife gave the word. I know. It's like, man, she should be doing this all the time. What am I doing, you know? Uh, what an amazing night. And uh, she kind of talked about the importance of processing pain and the fact that, you know, all of us go through pain, and, but, but how we process the pain, how we deal with it, and, and what we do with the pain is what brings us to wholeness. And I would, I would go so far in the topic of wholeness that aside from your salvation and aside from your relationship with Jesus, that wholeness is the single most important thing of your life. It's not about church attendance. It's not about going on the retreat. It's not about volunteering or serving personal wholeness, as you just heard from Judita. I had no idea about any of these things, you know? Like, I just, I look at a, a woman who's just walked through so much pain, knowing the depth of pain now, but knowing how whole she is. And, and we, we can have a, a group of people who attend things and are, are great at, at looking like Christians, but on the inside are just direct. And I think that as, as we look at a community where a lot of us, we're on this journey to wholeness, and that's like the exciting thing about this place. It's not that we have great music because it, it's cool music, not because we got comfy chairs, because it could be worse. You know, like there's a lot of things that, that could be, you know, worse or better. But the most amazing thing about this place is all the people that are, are pursuing and reaching wholeness. And let me give you just wholeness for a definition. Sig, this is just mine. Wholeness is the place you reach when your past pains, experiences, circumstances, insecurities, and perceptions no longer create lies in your belief system about God, his character, and his nature. That's wholeness. So what is brokenness? I'm not talking about brokenness. Like there, there's a biblical brokenness where we remove ourselves and where we are in position to have God work with us. That's not the same brokenness I'm talking about. That's, that's godly. That's awesome. The, the, the opposite kind of brokenness is what I think we all have. And this is allowing lies based from your past pains, experiences, uh, circumstances, insecurities, and perceptions to cloud the truth and the character and the nature of God. That we walk through life and as Camille said, we all experience pain, but what we do with that pain, what does it do to our vision? What does it do to what we think about God and his plan for us? 
I, I swear, like the most, the, the constant thing is we meet all these believers, right? We meet all these Christians and we're supposed to be like the hope of the world, the light of the world, right? All the, like these positive things. And I'm always meeting people that say I'm spiritually empty. I have all of the knowledge. I have none of the power. I have gone to Bible college. I've gone to seminary. I've done all these things. I, I, my, like, my college RS major person who spoke at our back Lord has renounced his faith recently. He's like the smartest guy about the Bible like I knew at the time. I have friends that like, I, I went to a Christian college that are now atheists. How does this happen? It, it baffles my mind and people over and over again say, I just feel so spiritually empty. And the only thing that I can, I can come to mind is, is, is a picture like, anybody cook here? <laughs> I don't cook, but I'm going to give a cooking analogy real quick. You know, like a colander, like a little bowl with a whole bunch of holes? <laughs> Profound, right? I'm going to get to it. Like the image is so clear that, that, that God is so faithful that his presence is the same for you and me as it is for the people who spirit, feel spiritually empty. If you feel spiritually empty, there's nothing different between you and the person who's like, I feel spiritually full. The difference is that I, I think as we look at the shape of our soul, that some of us have holes poked in it like a colander. And as the presence of God, as the truth of God comes in, it begins to seep out of the holes. It's why we go from a high mountains like, whoa, that's awesome, to the next day feeling so empty. I believe that it is the lies that we choose to believe that are the holes in our soul that allow us to feel so empty. When we allow lies and we are okay with lies and, it, and we justify the lies we believe, I believe it just, it makes us holy, if you will, in the wrong way. And we just bleed out God's truth and God's presence. And we're just like, man, I'm a believer, but I feel so empty. And I think that we'll only feel as, as spiritually full as the amount of lies that we plug, the amount of lies we defeat. And, and here's the thing about the life instances, the pain, like pain is, is universal, right? If I, could, if I could pinpoint one strategy, one time where Satan is the most strategic on the time he's going to embed a lie into your life, it's in a time of pain. The time when, when Satan is going to really step up and he's really going to slide some lies about God, slide some lies about who you are, slide some lies about what he thinks about you. It is going to be in the time when you're beat down, when you're hurt, when you're broken. Have you ever like um, hurt yourself like uh, on like a hand, gotten something stuck in your hand and you pull it out? And, and uh, one time I used to, you know, climb things and I grew up in like the woods in Oregon and I got like this sliver like stuck in my hand. And it like went really deep and I pulled it out. It looked like it was pulled out. You know, I got it. And uh, it bled a little bit and I cleaned it up, whatever. It healed like really quick. Time heals all wounds, right? But gosh dang it, like in the next two weeks, my hand was on fire all the time. And what happened is that while the skin healed over that wound, there was a little fragment, a little tiny bit of that sliver that was still left. And it was infecting my entire hand. And it was like the most painful thing. And like my dad had to like take a scalpel, right? I'm like, you know, on the you know, table here, like, no! You know, and he pulls it out and he pulls out this little, it, look, it was literally like a grain of sand. And I think that, that we look at what Satan does and, and he, he will give us lies and things. And, and sometimes we can kind of brush it off. But what time does is it gives us the appearance of healing. But sometimes there's something beneath that skin. And we need to go and we need to pull it out. We need to be thorough in it. And I, I would say that, man, the greatest challenge that all of us have are, man, what are all the things that time healed those wounds? But man, there's still lies in there. 
There's still things that need to be addressed. Romans 8.29 says this. It says, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. Meaning that all of us, I would say every single one of us has lies. We we have all sorts of stuff that we're carrying with us, but that as we're in a relationship with Christ, he is revealing those things to us. I think last week was a week where a lot of people got some things revealed to them about pain. I ran into a, a gal that was trying to sneak out and I could definitely tell that she was kind of feeling, you know, just truly worked up about things. And I just like, I dragged her, so I was like, come on, let's talk. And she's like, I agree that like, it was so, you know, what I needed to hear, but here's the bummer thing is I don't even know where to start. It's almost so overwhelming. I got so much pain. I have so much stuff I got to work through. I don't even know where to go. It's like when, when you have like your life kind of exposed, God reveals your heart and you're like looking here like the lies, the brokenness, the pain. I'm looking at the ways that truth is just absent from everywhere. I look and we think like there's no way I can do this. There's no, like, there's no end in sight. Like it, it, it seems so overwhelming. Anybody feel like that anytime? That you're just like, it's so overwhelming to me. I might as well not start. I used to feel like that all the time with finals. It's like I just... I got nothing, you know? (laughs) So what I want to focus on tonight is taking Camille's message and the importance of processing is I want to address where do we start with this? Because the journey to wholeness, it's kind of like this like journey to running across America. You're like, how do you train for that? (laughs) You know, and we we need to look at like how, what is God's blueprint? So I'm going to take you through that. So let's open up to Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1. Sean Lawrence is forever, uh, comes to my mind anytime I open up Ephesians. <laughs> if you know who Sean Lawrence is, that's funny to you. <laughs> All right, just a few verses, 18 through 23. We have it here on the screen too. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and all authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. But he put all things in subjection under his, that's Christ's, feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all? Wholeness. Where do you start with wholeness? I just have just kind of five little ideas to just throw at you. They're pretty simple. The first one is this. Before you even try and tackle addressing pain, before you try and reconcile, you have to know the significance and you have to understand the significance of your wholeness. Verse 18, you probably didn't catch it. I'm going to read it to you again. It says, The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Anybody catch what that says? What his, Christ's inheritance is in the saints? It means that at the end of this life, right, you get eternal life and Jesus gets you. 
That Jesus, what he did on the cross, you are his reward. You are his prize. Everybody in their Bible right now should like circle this. This should be the most important verse of your life besides that God so loved the world. And like it should be up there that, that you know the life that you live now is building an inheritance which Christ receives. We can't live and just simply say, I got fire insurance, I'm going to hell or I'm going to heaven. Sorry, <laughs> I'm not going to go to hell. We're really confused here as you can tell. But that we should say, wow, my life matters. My wholeness matters for the single reason is that you are the gift to Jesus. You are what he gets. Kind of crazy, right? Anybody ever like hear that verse? Like you, you are the gift that Jesus gets. It boggles my mind. And so obviously since we are what Christ receives, he's going to pursue our wholeness because you're what he gets. He's personally vested into your wholeness because you are the riches of his inheritance. And so since Satan can't touch your salvation, right? Everybody knows that. Satan cannot touch your salvation. But he wants to taint Christ's inheritance. That Satan, if he can't pull you back into hell, hopefully he might be able to spoil the inheritance of the king. Does that make sense? And so what he's going to do is he's going to try and embed as many lies in you as possible. He's going to try and minimize your effectiveness. He's going to try and minimize who you are. Because we know that Satan knows the Bible, right? We know that he knows what the word says. We know that he knows that you are Christ's reward. How? Because Satan used the scriptures against Jesus to try and have him commit suicide in, in Matthew 14. Matthew 4, excuse me that he took him to the wilderness and he says, if you are really the son of God, cast yourself off this ledge. He's quoting a psalm, an obscure psalm, right? So Satan knows the Bible. He knows that you and I are the reward for Christ. So surely, if you were to put yourself into Satan's shoes, let's not think about this too much here, but let's just briefly think about it. Wouldn't you want to spoil whatever good thing is going to be coming to Christ? If you, if you exist to defeat the works of Christ, wouldn't you want to try and taint the reward of Christ? Just saying. So you can think about it this way, that the riches of Christ's inheritance are found within the wholeness of his people. The riches of Christ's inheritance, what, what he gets, is found in the wholeness of all of us. But the closer you get to wholeness, a really funny thing happens. The closer you get to wholeness, the temptation for self-destruction comes near. Can anybody identify like, man, life's going good and I have this crazy urge just to like self-destruct? Isn't that the weirdest thing? I don't get it. It happens to me all the time. Like, things are going awesome and I've never been more tempted to just like blow it all up. It's the weirdest thing. Why is that? It's because when, when we are pursuing God, when we are seeking him, that the adversary is going to try and come. He's going to try and mess it all up. I see it all the time. Someone who's on this crazy growth, they are doing awesome. And they will commit the largest sin of their life. They will completely burn their life down into flames. Why? Because it'll extinguish all hope in their life. If they fail at the pinnacle of their faith, Satan knows that your hope will be so destroyed that you will never get back up again. Are you with me? That if in the height of your progress with Christ and you fall, the lie that's going to be sown into your soul is that you are a fraud. That you would never fail this big if you were really in me. You would never fail this big if my transformational work wasn't in you. 
And so the closer you get to wholeness, the more the temptation, all these it seems, is going to come right before you. Number two, you only have authority over lies if you have agreement with the truth. You only have authority over lies if you have agreement with the truth. When we pray with people, we ask them to agree. Sometimes we'll ask people like pray for themselves. Why? It's because it makes no difference for any of us to pray for somebody if they don't believe the truth themselves. You're just, okay, you know, I, I, can, I can waste oxygen, I can use words, but nothing spiritual is going to happen unless you believe it, unless you partner with God in truth. And so we know in verse 22, this passage, we, we read that God placed all things into subjection of Christ and placed them under his feet. All things, every single pain, every area of brokenness of your life, it all is in subjection to Christ. All of it, and under his feet. Where's Christ? Christ is in us. All authority has been given to Christ. Christ is in us, so we have authority, right? But there has to be agreement. I love the analogy of the Scud missile or maybe heat-seeking missile, right? Now, I'm going to complete, I know nothing about the military, so don't hold this against me. But I know there's a general, right? And he kind of calls the shots. And there's like some commanding officer who like kind of pulls the trigger, Right? We're going deep again, right? So the general can say, who has all the authority, amen? The general has all the authority. It says, soldier, there's an enemy of the truth. Hit and engage the target, right? Pull the trigger. Now the authority and the command and the direction can be given, but unless the soldier actually holds up the gun and fires and goes to the target, the target is not destroyed, so for you, what this means is that when we have lies and God is saying, I'm pointing out lies and you say, I can't take the shot. There's going to be no victory in a shot you refuse to take, even if you know that God is calling you to. Because his authority, his direction, his declaration of this is an enemy of the truth, engage the target. And you're like, I can't take the shot. You're not going to have victory. You will not have a victory where you are in disagreement with God about what to do about the lie. Because sometimes we don't know what to do with it. But when God's made us so clear, we just have to say, yes, Lord. And we have, to, we have to do We might not always understand it. It might not make total sense to us. But if we don't, we will not have victory in any area that we are in disagreement with Christ. Amen? You will not have victory in any area where you are in disagreement with what God says about it. It's not going to happen. In other words... You will be powerless for as long as you're in disagreement with him. There's an area you're, you're disagreeing with God about what he wants, an area in your life. If you're in disagreement, stop praying for it. You know, like, don't pray that God will bless something he's already condemned. It makes no sense. He's like, I'm living with my boyfriend. God, would you please bless my, you know, sexual relationship? Why would God do that? It makes no sense. You know, it's like me asking God bless me as I rob this bank. He's like, it, it doesn't work this way. You know, it's like if I get caught for robbing a bank, I'm going to be like, this Satan, you know, Satan's all over me. He's attacking me. It's like, no, it's like the spirit of stupid is on you. Like, you don't try and put God in your own stupidity. There's a big difference between adversity and stupidity. Amen? That's a good word right there. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 18, if two shall agree, it will be done. If two shall agree, your agreement with truth will break the lie. Number three, 
Start with a single lie because the lies of brokenness are interconnected. Start with a single lie because the lies of brokenness are interconnected. That was like the main thing is like, man, you have all this area of brokenness. What do you do? You're like, man, it's everywhere. It's so much like it seems so overwhelming. What do you do? Can anybody tell me how you get a strike in bowling? Any bowlers out here? I didn't think so. <laughs> but at least you guys know. How do you get a strike? Knock down all the pins? I actually already heard the right answer. That's too technical. <laughs> and much better. So we just celebrated four years at my uh, software company, and we're like, what do we do? We're like, let's go bowling, you know? And uh, so how do you get a strike? Is you know the goal is not to hit all the pins. A strike is not hitting all the pins, in case that was your answer. The goal is you hit one pin perfectly. And you knock down the whole entire set. You can throw it as hard as you can. You can do all these things. Like I would do these things like I would like roll like a little bowling ball down and like, you know, do like this action. And I've gotten strikes that way before. It's amazing. It's not about speed. It's not about like the curve, though. I'm like trying that, you know. It's not about any of that stuff. If you just hit one pin just right, all of it goes down. And so as you're looking at the brokenness of your life, don't worry about like I have 80 pins. Like just start with one and see what others go down with it. Because sometimes, like our lie, it weaves everywhere else and it's going to fall. We start in a single area and we try and say, God, I'm going to hit that pin the best I can. And like bowling too, you kind of need a root for your own throw, right? So I have these programmers and they're, they're like the least athletic people you've ever met in your life. People who have been in my office know. It's like difficult to have like a conversation with them sometimes. And to see them like doing like a physical activity is even more entertaining. So what they'll do, you know, not all of us do this, okay, so I'm not going to poke on it. So they'll like throw the, the pin or the ball towards the pins. And what they do, if it's like off, they'll like start doing this, you know? <laughs> you know that like you're like trying to influence the ball like to go right and like you start leaning and you do that action, you know? The same is the same thing for our brokenness. We need to root for our own brokenness. Yeah. Hey, if we get up there and we're approaching brokenness, we're like, it's not going to hit any pins. It probably won't. But you, when you attack a lie, you need to be doing this action. You're like, oh, hit it right, because you know where it needs to go. You know when it's on target, when it's not. Why do we go through these exercises towards wholeness when we know it's, it's a gutter ball? Don't throw gutter balls towards your wholeness. You know it's a gutter ball. If you think that you're going to sign up for a program and just be zapped and it's magically all better, it's not going to happen. You know what a good throw looks like towards your lie. And just focus on the single lie that is easiest for you to see. The one you can, can see the clearest because the other pins are hidden, right? And sometimes you need to knock down a couple pins to see the other pins. Excellent. Bowling alley theology here. Are you guys with me? <laughs> so don't let the number of pins, the number of holes in your life, the number of areas of pain overwhelm you. Just keep throwing until there's no more pins. Because remember that Satan cannot keep you from victory but he can convince you that continuing is not worth it anymore. Satan has nothing against your victory. The only thing he can do is he can convince you that it's not worth it anymore. And that's the other thing, remember? Like, people are seeing the change and you're like, I don't see it, you know, I don't know. Like, who are we to judge, right? 
That's the other thing. Like sometimes we're so close that we can't see the fruit. We can't see the wholeness. We can't see the journey and the progression that's happening. But God does. Your problems are finite. They are limited in number, but God's power is infinite. You will never run out of God's power. You will never run out of God's grace. You will never run out of God's patience for your problems. But your problems will eventually run out if you put them head to head. One is finite, one is infinite. That's why the Bible says a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up. If you're pursuing holiness, you, you fall. Remember, the thing that Satan's going to do is going to try and convince you, don't get back up because a real person who knows Jesus, who has his power, wouldn't fall. The absence of falling is not what makes you whole. It's not what makes you righteous. It's that you get back up again. So we keep going until there's no more pins. Number four, you must be willing to let go of all and forget all. You must be willing to let go of all, capitalize. That's all caps up there. For me, it's only the all. You must let go of all and forget all. Here's the thing. If you miss everything tonight, get this. Not a single area of brokenness in your life is worth holding on to or maintaining. Not a single area, not a single pain, not a single memory, not a single broken relationship, not a single any, any of that stuff is worth maintaining at all. Many of us have been accumulating ammo over the years, right? You have pain, you're like, I'm going to build some ammo. I'm going to, like, someone's got to pay, right? It doesn't matter who, but when we have pain, we have circumstances, we begin to build a stock house of righting that wrong, Right? Like, I'm going to make that right. And so we, we begin to stock things such as bitterness and words and outbreaks, maybe manifest itself through an addiction. Like, we begin to build all this ammo to hurt other people. That when, when we have pain, our inclination is to give somebody else pain in return. It's amazing that the best marital advice I've ever heard in my entire life was from Dave Allgood. And it says, in, in a marriage, because marriage is like an NBA championship basketball game. It is fast-paced, it's crazy, and you'll find yourself becoming a person you never thought possible at the worst moments. And the, the marital advice is this, it's great for everybody, resist the urge to be an a-hole. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? I get, like, that's the Facebook quote of the night, right? And what it is, is, is this, is that when we are in a position we want to say the thing we know hurts. We want to have the moment we know where it's atoned for. We want the exact word. We've rehearsed it. We've looked in the mirror. We've, you know, we've done that. We've written it out. It's, it's ready, right? Have you ever been there? How do you know you have ammo? How do you know you have ammo? If you believe that you can forgive but not forget, you've got a lot of ammo. If you were like, I forgive, I forgive all day long, seven days a week and even on leap years. And you're like, but I can't forget. If you believe that, that forgiveness does not include forgetting, you have not forgiven. If you have people that you are remembering things for, if you have moments that you're like waiting for like the right time, maybe you're planning something, maybe one day that person's going to get it, you've got ammo. Many think that they've forgiven, but they haven't. 
Forgiveness by definition is forgetting. Forgiving means that it doesn't exist anymore. God doesn't say, I forgive you, but I don't forget. You know that? He says the exact opposite. Isaiah 43, 25, this is another verse that you should like mark all over your Bible. That for my own sake, this is God saying that I blot out your transgressions and for my own sake, I remember them no more. If you serve a God that is keeping track and remembering your sins, that's not the God we serve. He made it very clear. I blot out your transgressions, they're gone. I, I paid for them, they're gone. And I forgot them. They don't exist to me. So if we are forgiving people and not forgetting, we're not really forgiving people. Maybe tonight it's time to surrender some ammo. Maybe tonight you're like, man, I feel pretty whole, but I got some people that I, I've got it coming. I've, I've got the dates. I know exactly what they said. I know what I'm going to say. And maybe you got some ammo you just need to give. Say, God, I forget this stuff. True forgiveness is forgetting. But we, we like to maintain our hurt. We like to to hold on to for, for the reasons that we said that, you know, the ammo, right? It gives you self-defense. What's the other reason we like to hold on to it? Is that we secretly desire pity. Amen? We secretly desire pity. Anybody else like, does that hit your heart like me? It does. <laughs> no one's going to admit it. Self-pity when it comes to brokenness is cancer. It is never satisfied. Pity does one thing. It desires more pity. Pity desires more pity. It will eat you from the inside out. And what it does is it begins a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know what that is? Where you begin to make choices in your life to prove that you need more pity. You will make choices to prove the lie that you already believe that the world has it out for me, that nobody loves me, that I'll never be married, that I'll never all these different things. You will make decisions to prove the pity that you were looking for. It's amazing that when we believe a lie, we will begin to customize our decisions. We'll begin to see things that begin to prove that lie. And if we are really vested into that lie like self-pity is, then we will go to no ends to increase the pity. Man, if there's one thing that I had growing up, it was this. I had amazing family. I had amazing home. I had amazing everything. I'm like the luckiest person on earth, but I reached such a dark, dark place in high school. And it was centered around this, is that I believed the lies that I was invaluable because I, I have two all-star siblings, like all, like first team all-American, Olympic team, like, you know, like, like literally, you know, all-stars. And like they're both academically, you know, amazing, athletically. Like they never got a B like at all in their life. They were both valedictorian. It was just, they're amazing people. Huge accomplishments. And then I wrestled like being in the show. Like I, I was okay at academics. I was okay athletically, but not like they were. And so I was so discouraged. I, I just, I gave them like their stature and I cast myself in their shadow. And I felt so sorry for myself. I felt so sorry that I wallowed in this depression I, and, and I had acne and I felt so sorry for myself. I had braces for like seven years. Like, who does that, right? I was born with like, without half my teeth, you know? It was like, I got nothing to show for it still. Like I, but I wallowed in pity because I was different and I didn't understand what God saw me as. And so here's what I did. 
is that I learned real quick that in high school, you will get a lot more attention from girls if you're playing the pity card. <laughs> this is, we're going to go into a therapy session right now. <laughs> I found that I could get the right attention like that, that some girl would feel sorry for me. Yes! And I would, I would have the attention. Oh, man, I would have, like, the follow-up. I'd have the phone call. I'd have the note. You know, like, somebody feels so bad for me that they, they want to try and fix me, right? I was like, Yes! Perfect. Part of my plan. But here's what happened. The moment I started responding and like, wow, this is great. You know what happened? The tension stopped. I was like someone's project. So what I was giving out, what I was trolling for sympathy was producing something that wasn't real. It was momentary to help me go through. So what did I start doing? I would start to manufacture lies about terrible things that were happening to me. You laugh because you know it's true. You like you've done it yourself, maybe. But I got stuck in this self-pity, like wallowing. And what happens is I started believing the lies. Things that didn't actually happen, I would tell people they happened, and they never happened. But my entire persona started taking on that truth. And self-pity just drove itself for more self-pity. And it created more bad things. And so I would, I would go into self-destruct mode because I couldn't let myself be happy anymore. I was so invested into not being happy. I was that guy that I could never allow myself to experience joy or have anything go right. My whole entire identity was all about other people should feel sorry for me. And it's manipulation that I was so vested in that I could never get out of it. That's why I have no friends I keep in touch with from high school. <laughs> They're like, you are a loser. You know, no one wanted to be around me. I was like the Eeyore. I wasn't that person that I am now, but I was trapped because I never addressed the brokenness. It was such a little tiny lie, right, that I, I like motocross, they're good at basketball and volleyball. It was like simple things like that, or I'm not as good at piano. A tiny little lie, and I thought that that mattered to my parents and to everybody else, and it birthed this huge thing that trapped me for probably about five or six years. Gosh, the, the power of the little lies that we believe can just ruin us. And so now when we tell our story, you see this, the stories up here, no one's trolling for, for pity. I mean, we, like when we share our story, we do it out of victory so we all can celebrate and say, yes, amen. I heard someone say that, that a testimony is a declaration that says, yes, God, do that again. If you feel that you're isolated, that you're the only one who's got some bad stuff going on, man, you don't know very many people here. But we tell stories to say, yes, God, do that again. Last. Number five is make declarations over each area of your brokenness when it is made whole. Make declarations over each area of your brokenness when it has been made whole. What does this mean? It means that we're people that don't ever let it go. Sometimes the lie that we can believe is that it's never done. Amen? Jesus is on the cross, right? And at the last thing, he says, it is finished. It is finished. Jesus made a declaration that all sins were paid for and sealed forever. Forever. It is finished. We've been open that my wife and I, we've gone through counseling. We've like had things where we're like, we live some crazy lives and we have some 
challenging stuff and we, we've had to work through some rough issues. But when we get through that, you know what happens? Is those issues, when resolved, cease to exist. We still go in because we want to have the best marriage on earth. We have so few problems, but man, when we go in, we're there to be the best we can be. And you know what never comes up when we have a new conflict? It's anything from the past. It's dead. It's gone. Jesus doesn't sit up in heaven looking at our stuff. He's like, man, I really need to do another session on the cross. Like, you know, I didn't, it, it wasn't fully done. Like, I need to get back down there. Like, Jesus doesn't do that. He's like, once for all, it is finished. Once for all. And so as we approach wholeness in our life, as we receive victory in it, and we really are thorough and we address it, let it be done. You can let your absent father ruin 80 years of your life if you let it. I'm not trying to minimize the fact that that stuff doesn't hurt, that doesn't mean that it takes a long time, but when it's done, like we need to move on. We give our pain so much credit. We let it like carry on and ruin us for our entire lives if we do. So there needs to be at some point in your wholeness that one bowling pin, the one bowling pin is a small issue, declare it finished. And like rejoice in that, like, man, God liberated me from this lie. That lie is dead. Tell it that it's dead with your mouth. Mark eleven twenty four says this. Therefore, I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe you have received them and they will be granted to you. If you don't believe you've been restored from that brokenness, that, that pain, that issue, you're not. Again, that agreement matters. You need to declare, you need to say it is finished. You need to be thorough and then put it to rest and may it never come up again except to say by the grace of God, God deliver me by that. Take as much time as you need to go through one issue, but when it's done, thoroughly declare it finished and celebrate it. It takes all the power. I have the band come up. And I just want to close just by telling you guys wholeness is what it's about wholeness is all what it's about and we're going to worship and pray and have our our prayer team come up here and we're going to transition to ministry time like I just want to give you just a couple clues for how we can respond I just want you just to take your hearts and just open them up to God and, and just say God is there things beneath the surface the time is healed to moons but there is something that is causing an infection in my soul. There are things that are tainting who God is in my life. Maybe there's some people that you need to say, I forget this. I not only forgive, maybe you're forgiving someone for the first time, but you're also going to forget. And you get to seal the death certificate on that. If we're holding out, we will always be haunted by it. 